It's always good to hear my jazz accordion teacher play. He's the best there ever was, man. Uh, I wish I could still play, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm way out of shape with that. It just it's never going to work. But anyway, hi, guys. How are you? Morning. morning. How's it going? Morning. Pretty good, man. Just uh, another week has gone by. And, uh, you know, my buddy and his girlfriend are coming over later to watch the game, football game. And she's bringing homemade chili, which I've never had of hers. I love chili. So we're going to see how this turns out. So if I end up in the intensive care unit, you'll know why. <laughs> Let's just hope not. <laughs> What's up with uh, you, Nico? You sold the house, huh? Yeah, I sold the house. So I'm in a transition period right now. Just had a very stressful week, but it's all over now. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got it and get settled and in time before the bad weather starts, today is quite cool um, out, at least over here. I don't think, think it's even – it was 39 earlier, but uh, I'm sure it's going to hit in the 40s or 50s today. But yeah, it, was, it was a good time to move. Not too hot and it was not too cold, so perfect timing. Yeah, I, I had some issues – one time when I had to move serious health issues because of a heat stroke, it was in the hundreds. It was like 105 the weekend that I had to move and I had to move to my place. And I was moving in at the, with my girlfriend at the time, my fiance at the time. So I had to move her place and my place. Oh, that was brutal. But anyway, so what's up with you, Joe? Well, not much. Actually, you mentioned uh, football, and it's been a couple weeks since we've been able to uh, record, but we had a, a loss to the football community a couple weeks ago. We lost uh, Gail Sayers. Um, I know it's a little bit of old news, but I think it's worth mentioning again. One of the greats. Yeah, I got to meet him. A nice, soft-spoken, nice guy. I had a nice, nice handshake, you know, pretty firm grip. I mean, you know, um, I met him, what, well, let's see. Johnny Lira was with us, and Johnny passed away in 2012. So it's, I don't remember exactly. 2010, 2011. At some function, which was nice. Was that around here? Yeah, it was in Chicago. Um, it was cool. You know, big dinner. Not for him. I mean, Gail just happened to be there. You know, it was just a bunch of a bunch of athletes. You know, it's an athletic thing. Um, real nice, man. Uh, Boy, time is flying. I mean, goodness, yeah, that's that's about 10 years ago. Like I said, Johnny died in 2012. So it was before then, and I think it was before that year because Johnny was pretty sick that year, at least near, near the tail end. And uh, so I, I would think it's, it was 2010 or 2011, and we're approaching 2011 now anyway. So my goodness, time is just – where is it going? 
It seems like it's accelerating, you know, the speed. That's what they say when you get older, time flies. Yeah, you, they say that you, you grow up slowly and you grow old fast, you know, but it just keeps, keeps getting faster and faster. Yeah. Speak, speaking of time flying, last night I saw the, uh, uh, in the theaters, I saw the 40th anniversary. They re-released uh, Empire Strikes Back, which I can't believe it was 40 years ago that I saw that as a kid, which kind of ages me. But did you ever catch those back in Cleveland? Oh, they had them all over, but no, I never, I never seen any of them. So, wow. Well, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not a sci-fi guy. I mean, I do like the Twilight Zone, but I, that's not to me. I mean, that's science fiction, I guess. But I'm not into this outer space stuff, I, like Star Trek or anything. It just never appealed to me. Those are not the kind of movies that I like to go see. Um, everybody's got their own little tastes. But two, I didn't get a chance back as a kid to really get to see any movies. You know, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen as a child. I doubt I saw five movies at the theater. We didn't have the kind of money to go, hey, here's some money, go, go to the movie theater. I mean, later when I was in, able to work, I was in high school and I had a car. And, you know, then you know, I, I'd either go with my buddies or with my high school girlfriend or something, you know, but those were not... Um, that was those were sillier movies. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember we got into it. A, my girlfriend at the high school sweetheart, she wanted to go see this one movie. I didn't want to go see it, but you know, we went to see it. It was called Sleepaway Camp. Oh my God. If you guys ever get a chance, it's like a terrible B, B movie horror movie. Okay. Uh, about mass killings at a sleepaway camp. Aren't they all? Yeah. But I think I've seen that one. I think I saw that back in the day, maybe on a VHS tape or something. Away, don't give it away. But yeah, you got to kind of almost see it because it's that bad. Yeah. And then I remember uh, seeing scanners with uh, my buddies in high school and we all got a kick out of the one scene. Again, I won't give it away for people who haven't seen it. But yeah, you're, you're talking 40 years ago for those movies, pretty much 81, 82, something like that. 80, I don't know. Long time. Yeah, sometimes when you, you we practice the front face lock with you, I feel like I'm going to have a scanner's moment. Yeah, those are good times, man. I I miss putting front face locks on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's see what else. Uh, shockingly, my Cleveland Browns are two and one. They're playing the Cowboys today. Uh, I don't expect much, but um, we'll see. And the Bears, on the other hand, I they're three and zero, oh, but I you know they've been dodging some bullets, so I don't think. I don't think they're as good as their record indicates, but let's see now with, uh, you know, with the new QB, see how they do. Is this a full season or are they? Yeah. Unless, you know, unless things happen now, they are um, postponing certain games like because Cam Newton turned uh, tested positive for COVID. So now they canceled or I shouldn't say canceled it, but postponed it. And because of that, now they're rearranging the time schedule. So my friend Scott, and his girlfriend, Jerry, they were supposed to come over around quarter to 12 to watch the Bears. Well, I didn't let them know that the Bears don't play now until 325. So I'm going to watch the Browns. They play at 12, and they're going to watch them unless they call me or whatever. Then they're, you know, they decide to come later, but um, which is fine. But, yeah, uh, it's supposed to be a full season, unlike, unlike baseball, which I just, uh, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I'm sorry, this season to me, doesn't count it. I don't care who wins the world series. I said this before my Indians got eliminated. I will not consider them 
a true World Series champion. Um, I think with the format of the playoffs, it almost became like hockey where almost you know, everybody makes the, the playoff. I mean, you look at the Cubs, they have five teams in the division. Four of them made the playoffs. It's, you know, you win roughly 30 games and you're in the playoffs. That, you know, this that's not baseball. But, um, well, the Cubs got eliminated. The Sox are out. The Indians are out. Um, so, eh, it is what it is. You know, congratulations to whoever is going to win. But, you know, I'm not – I'm a purist when it comes. I think we discussed this once before on this show. I'm a I'm a purist, especially with with baseball. It's, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, not much has been not. You know, what else are you gonna say? You know, holiday season is coming up soon. This month is uh, Halloween. When now you got what next? Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. I mean, boy, it's just flying by. And all those hollow, uh, holidays are going to be so much different, I think. Like, I, I'm still not quite sure how Halloween's going to work around here. You know, are they going to be sending kids door to door? Just little little uh, groups of uh, infection agents or, you know, I'm not quite sure how that'll work, you know. Or do they want you passing out candy to kids? I know that, like, they talked about, I thought Los Angeles was going to try and cancel it. But I think there was a mass revolt against that. It's just, yeah, I don't know how those things are going to work. Well... I mean, where I lived previously almost 10 years and I've been out here six and a half and I don't remember even having kids coming over. I mean, to me, Halloween has been pretty much, you know, nobody comes out, uh, you know, at least where I, because where I live, you know, there's, there's hardly anything. So, um, I mean, I'm sure I'll have candy. I don't even know what it's about. You know, I'll, I'll probably have some candy, you know, I'll get some and if they show up, Okay. What, I don't even know what day it is. What day is Halloween? October 31st. 31st. <laughs> hey, a Monday, what is it? Don't know. Yeah. I think last year they, they canceled it here or where I live, or they changed the day of it because of something. I don't remember what, weather or, yeah, it may have been a weather thing. I don't, I don't remember now. But, you know, that was then. This is now. <laughs> we'll see what happens. It's on a Saturday. Saturday. Oh, there you go. Saturday night. I'll... Well, that's a good day to have it, too. Yeah, Friday or Saturday night's great. But, uh, yeah, I, re- I remember once in seventh or eighth grade, we had to give a debate. Well, I was chosen to give the 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 debate about keeping Halloween. And then there was a team, me and like three others, and then there was a team of four that had to give a debate on why Halloween should be banned. And this is going way back into the 70s. So talk about banning Halloween has been going around since I was a kid. Nothing. Yeah. Who wants to ban that? What kind of a lame person wants to ban Halloween? That stuff's awesome. It's the one day of the year that you fit in, Joe. Exactly. I can walk amongst <laughs> the, 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 the normals and they don't get frightened. And I can take as much candy from kids as I want. It's, it's perfect, actually. Yeah, it's good. So this week, we were one of the subjects that it seemed to be a unanimous between Joe and Nico. They wanted me to talk about pain management or pain tolerance, or in essence, the effect of pain 
or conversely, the lack of it in a fight, um, you would be surprised on how many people that you would think can handle pain can't, and conversely, how much pain you think you may not be able to handle, and you can't. Um, shock plays a big role. Uh, artificial influences such as drugs and alcohol can play a big role. So when you think that you're going to use a pain compliant uh, move uh, may not be effective on someone if they have, you know, maybe a lot of adrenaline or they have uh, narcotics or something, or even just being drunk um, in the system. And conversely, though, uh, you have to learn to be able to manage your pain tolerance. So I've seen so many guys just, you know, wail away, uh, you know, and whine like, ow, ow, ow. You can't, you can't do that. Uh, your, your mind has to be on the game. Um, you know, I like to give the analogy of like when you're, when you're hammering something, if you're just doing some repairs in, around the house or your work and you hit your thumb with a hammer, man, does that hurt? Well, part of the reason it hurts is because you're completely not expecting any, anything like that to happen. Whereas in a fight, either a professional competition or amateur competition or a street scenario, your brain kicks in to kind of warn you like, "Uh Oh, trouble's brewing. Uh, You know, and you should already be prepared for um, something, but regardless, even using the nail, the hammer on your thumb, it may not stop the initial pain, but that's where the power of the mind comes in. And you've got to start breathing properly. You've got to try to channel your thoughts onto, onto something else. Uh, it's much, it's, at least in my experience, it's been a lot easier in a street scenario because your adrenaline or your, you know, sometimes your body will, or mind will go into shock and uh, you don't feel it. You know, um, I've, I've told so many, told stories about the injuries that I've, gone through in street scenarios and really in, in hindsight, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's shocking how, how little things physically hurt until afterwards. Okay. Until X amount of time afterwards. Um, and that's a positive, that's a good thing, but still your, your mind has to, uh, you almost have to do like a self hypnosis where you can, um, learn to tolerate this. This is something that can be developed in, I would believe in anyone. Uh, You know, certainly we've talked about, I'm not sure we did it on this podcast, but we've discussed ways of learning how to not get grossed out by things you may see, you know, like a, like a paramedic or a surgical doctor or nurse or something. They get almost accustomed to seeing calamities of the human body or, or, you know, veterinarians would see it with animals and you can develop a, almost like a numbing effect to those kinds of things. And you can do the same thing here with, with pain. Um, one of the movies that sticks out was lethal weapon where, uh, uh, Gary Busey, you know, hung the, you know, put his arm over the cigarette lighter and, uh, you know, just obviously it was fake, but, you know, uh, how he was developing a tolerance for that. And, you you know, I don't recommend doing that because you'll burn your arm, but you can develop uh, to a degree, you know, uh, pain tolerance. I've seen demonstrations of it as a child, legit. I've also seen fake demos, but 
legitimately you can do it. Um, and it's almost like, think about it. Like when you're, when you're in such deep thought, you may be around people. This, what I'm about to tell you has happened to everyone listening. You're in such deep thought. People are talking to you. You don't even hear them. You're like so detached. You're like, wait, what, what, what did you say? Were you talking to me? You have no idea what they were even saying because your, your mind was detached from that. And it's the same principle here. You have to develop that same scenario um, regarding pain. And the other thing I told you when we rip people in ripping training, I've seen grown men cry like babies because of the ripping, because how much it hurts. Uh, you, your body can itself now, not, we're not talking about your mind now. Let's get off of that subject for a moment. Your body can develop uh, a resistance to certain things like that. You know, um, it becomes, I don't want to use the term numb as in tingling numb, but numb as in it don't matter anymore. It doesn't phase you as much. You become calloused to it in a, in a way. And um, your body does build up a resistance to it. Um, the other factor in, involved with the ripping is that psychologically you don't become shocked. And, uh, you know, most people's training doesn't involve any kind of rips or hooks or anything like that. Well, let's leave hooks out of it. But that's because that's a permanent uh, injury there. But the rips... And you all of a sudden become shocked. You become shocked that number one, somebody's doing it, like putting an elbow or a thumb in your eye or whatever, or, or, or wherever. And uh, so now you, you've got to come over that initial shock that how, wow, somebody's done this. This has never happened to me before. And the actual pain of it. So <clears throat> you're dealing with a couple of things there, you know, surprise and uncertainty, because you don't know where this, pain is going to go? Is it going to become a crippling permanent injury? And that's simply because you've never experienced it in your training before. So um, I assure you the first time that I got whooped in a street with baseball bats by multiple assailants, that certainly wasn't something I ever trained for. Okay. I never had, what was it? Three guys at time come at me in training full blast with, with baseball bats wailing on me, <laughs> you know? Um, so not everything can you prepare for? You, you cannot, but you can prepare for a lot. And the biggest thing in my training growing up was the constant pain that I was, not injuries, but pain. I'm not saying I never got injured but while I was training, but generally it was just pain. And I got used to the pain. And um, I, I, to me, being, being uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, being exposed to it, uh, it, it just was not a shock. You know, it's kind of like an argument with your, let's say your wife, your girlfriend or whatever. Uh, after you do it, maybe the first time it's a shock, second, third time. But after a while, you'll like, here it comes again. You know, I don't know what she's going to say, but you know, I know we're, you know, here it comes. It's going to be a big blowout. So you kind of become aware that, all right, here it comes. Here comes the hurt. Here comes the physical pain. And you just brace for it mentally. And if you can physically, you know, you, you try to, you know, diminish it. Um, so my, my advice to people before they start going out self-mutilating is just make sure that you have been exposed to certain kinds of discomfort 
in your training. Don't just all of a sudden jump in with, you know, full blast and, you know, try to, you know, be crippled here, but you know, you, you want to be exposed to pain in your training first and foremost, not injury. There's a difference between pain and injury. Pain is a temporary thing. Injury, you know, can linger. So um, if you're not experiencing that at all, you know, you're, you're not, you're not, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're really not doing yourself any favors. You know, there's that expression when you're, I think it came from lifting, lifting weights, no pain, no gain. Well, I don't, I'm not saying that, um, especially when it comes to lifting weights, just lifting smartly without any sort of pain, you'll get some gain. So that's more or less like a stereotype or a myth, but really in your training for fighting, I mean, fighting by nature, um, hurts. And, uh, when somebody's attempting to do you physical harm, as opposed to a sportsman who just wants to win, um, to think that you're going to get out of this without some, some pain, uh, that's wishful thinking. And hopefully it'll happen that you don't get pain, but it's wishful thinking. So <clears throat> I think you have to start um, initializing, uh, you know, ripping things like that, uh, you know, um, gouging, pressure points, whatever. If you're not doing that, you're, you're, you know, you're not utilizing my adage, which is, you know, your whole body is a weapon and his whole body is a target, you know? So that's the, that's the motto that I've always lived by and always will. So that's pretty much what I have to say on that. I don't know if you guys want to add something to it, go ahead or ask questions. So what are, what are some of the ways that Rod Von trained you for pain tolerance? Ripping. Just, just ripping? Well, I mean, he did a lot of uh, self-hypnosis, I think, in, in some of his strongman uh, feats of strength. Um, you know, bending coins, for example, uh, or whatever uh, the other things would, would be that weren't tricks, like laying on a bed of nails, which really isn't painful. It's just a little discomfort. Um, you've, you've got to have some power of the mind here. Uh, but it comes natural excuse me, when you're, when you're training this difficult, this, this intense week after week after week, month after month, year after year, you're naturally going to build up some tolerance to this. You're also, you're also going to start um, almost wanting, I mean, becoming like a, I guess a masochist in a way, you know, because you know that all this pain is making you tougher. It's making you stronger. And what, what might have been at a, at, a, at a 10 intensity level, the same amount of pressure six months later is now a five. It's like eating spicy food. You, you adapt, okay? The same level of food will not affect you that much, you know, once you become adapted to it. And that's the same thing here. But the ripping um, and the not letting go when he had that submission on and roughing, you know, just making me realize, you know, hurting me in other ways as a, as a form of punishment for, for being submitted. Um, while I've mentioned this before, if I tried to do that training now to people, I'd be locked up, but it, it was the greatest thing that's ever happened. You know, it, it taught me that, um, you do not want to get submitted. And, you know, I see it now as more or less a game in training. Oh, you got me. Okay, that's fun. Let's laugh. Let's try it again. 
Um, you know, whereas in a street or in, you know, any, any sort of life or death thing, um, it's not a laughing matter, you know? Uh, so yeah, I would, I would say just for sure the, the ripping, knowing going in every, every time I went, but man, where, where, how much am I going to hurt after this is over with? Um, and then, yeah. And then, then all of a sudden it starts to be less and less, you know, and, um, it's because your brain, your mind is adapted. Your body has adapted to it. Um, and I don't know, I, for me, I wouldn't have wanted to train any other way. Um, you know, it wasn't gentle. It certainly wasn't. Do you remember the first time he ripped on you? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the first time he put on a top wrist lock, I was getting ripped when he was doing it, you know, um, across my here, across my neck, every, you know, I'm like this, it was, it was a, an incredible thing. I mean, but if you want to take it back, let's step back before that. Just the physical conditioning exercises was a form of ripping to me, okay? Because I was being pushed, not physically, but, you know, uh, verbally and, you know, psychologically to do, to do things that, you know, I wasn't accustomed to doing at that age. Um, you know, so that in itself was a mental rip, okay? But physically, yeah, the very first time he, he um, you know, did the uh, top wrist lock on me in training, you know, I'm now you're, you're, you're having me go back almost 50 years. Um, but you know, 40, what a 43 years ago, but, um, it was that, I mean, and I'll never forget that. And that's why I tell people, you know, when, like, you know, you, you guys know it firsthand when, when I, when I talk about <clears throat> any specific submission, but you want to soften a guy up first, you want to elbow blast them or you want to do whatever, you know, uh, in addition to the, to the submission hole. Um, or hook as it may be. So yeah, that was, I'm like, Oh, you know, and then you have to process this. Okay. So first of all, you got a guy who's ready to break your arm and then at any moment in time, there goes everything, you know, um, plus, as I said, all the, the other stuff on the, on the chest, on the neck, on the face, on the nose, wherever, you know, with, with, with his arm as he's putting the hold on, um, this is brutality at the highest level outside of bringing in a weapon, you know, uh, that's not you is the weapon, right? Uh, it's a sadistic thing. I'm going to not kid you, but this is why it's the most effective that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're playing with fire here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for everybody. Tony, can you define the word ripping for someone that might be totally unfamiliar? Yeah, well, um, I do have a video series on it, and there should be some clips on my website. But ripping is basically um, putting pressure or pain on vulnerable parts of the human body, okay, such as your cheek, your eyeball, your nose, your, your lymph nodes, your the neck, the groin, the uh, areas along the, the, the ribs, pretty much anywhere on your body. Okay. Um, you know, you could even, uh, classify, let's say I was standing on your hand, standing on your fingers. That's a form of ripping because I am trying to 
physically cause a reaction, uh, not necessarily in itself a finish to the fight, but it will lead up to it. Um, I don't think this is a direct correlation, but in boxing, they'll talk about somebody peppering you, you know, just light jabs or light punches so they can set up the knockout blow. And in, in that regard, there's a similarity where my rips uh, are designed to lead me to another level of injury to my opponent. And it, and it helps soften the guy up physically and psychologically. It's terrifying for someone who's never been involved with this because um, they don't know where, how far this, in my case, let's see, it's me doing it. They don't know how far I'm willing to go with this. And they're feel, feeling pain where they probably have never felt it before. So now, again, that's part of my whole strategy in fighting is make the opponent fight himself as well as fighting you. So now he's battling his own feelings, his own psychology that is saying, okay, you're in a lot of pain. You don't know where this is going. I got fear. Da, 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 da. This man is focusing on so many things now just besides you, what you're doing to him. He's focusing in on how his body and mind is um, reacting to this. And trust me, when you get ripped, you're going to do, an, it's, some of this is an autonomic reflex. You know, your body's going to move in a certain way. And um, depending on what you're trying to get, and I know which way it's going to go. So I'm setting you up for something and you have no idea what, you know? And uh, so I would rip intentionally depending on which reaction I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, so it's, it's a fascinating subject. And I've always felt now I don't normally rip a guy when they first come through because I just know they can't take it. You know, they're going to be like, this isn't for me. And I've had guys even later in their training quit. Okay. Ripping is kind of like the, this is where I know if the student's going to be here for a long time, long haul, or if he's just going to split is when we finally get to the ripping and, you know, he has to be conditioned is, you know, I get make, I make sure that their, their body is a little stronger than when it came in. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, a lot of times weightlifters or bodybuilders are, are prone to getting ripped because, you know, you become a little bit tight. Um, you may be a little bit sore just from lifting to begin with and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's just being a weightlifter, let's use that umbrella term is, is not a defense for ripping. Like I said, in many instances, it's going to make it a little bit easier to do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that I feel should, you know, in a perfect world, you'd start right off the bat. Once we get to the actual hands-on stuff, you know, the ripping should be in, in introduced immediately because it, it's part of how you set up submissions. It's part of how you, move it's part of how you get out of submissions um and rips can be used offensively and defensively you know and uh, it also develops your mind because it lets you know when to do it when not to do it and you start to learn how the, the human body is going to react and you become quite creative and it's it's a subset that needs to be learned and mastered and very few do so, and I don't see that changing because people just aren't ready. Many, I, I'm speaking on under general terms here. Um, people aren't ready for it. They haven't been in 25 years of me showing it around here um, or however long it's been. You know, some guys just 
and I hear it from students the world over that, that, that write me that, you know, they're not allowed to rip in their gym. They're not allowed to do it. They cannot do it. They're forbidden to do it. And I'm not talking one or two emails, but through the years, hundreds, if not thousands of times, I've heard that or read that in an email. Um, yeah, we can't rip. We can't do this. We can't do that. And um, I understand it's not your gym. It's your coach, whoever the instructor is, it's their gym and they have their philosophy and their way of going about it. You know, you gotta, you gotta follow what, what, what the owner of the gym is saying is allowed or not allowed. So, you know, just like if you went to a strict grappling school, grappling only, you're not going to come in there throwing punches and kicks. You know, they're not going to allow that. That's not what their school is all about. So you got to kind of deal with it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of them look on it as kind of um, either like cheating or bad sportsmanship or, um, you know, uh, which is really unfortunate because you're right, it can be used in a technical fashion. So it's not just a cheap shot, you know, if you're using it to set things up. And the other uh, impression I have too is, you know, a lot of times we have these submission matches that go on for a really long time or someone just gets a very defensive posture. You know, they keep their hands really close, you know, tied up because they know you're going for their arm or neck. Um, and, you know, if you're not allowed to kind of rip or attack them in other ways like that, you know, assuming striking's not available. Um, you know, these things, you have to become, they have these elaborate setups to get these submissions opened up when really there's a more direct path to kind of get them to get out of that defensive posture, possibly. Yeah, well, you know, the key word, which you said at the beginning is sportsmanship. And again, there's no sportsmanship in a reality, uh, you know, life or death scenario here. So you can eliminate that. But you're right. This is a science. This is it. And I've said this years ago um, in the 90s on the Internet that and I've said it even on my videos, ripping in itself is not um, a substitute for knowing how to wrestle or, you know, fight. Um, so you can't just, well, I'm going to pick up, I'm just going to start gouging randomly. It, no, there is a science to it and it's extraordinarily technical and people who think there's no technique involved again, they're, they're not to insult them, but they're, they're just, um, they don't know they're, they're, you know, um, they've just not been exposed and in a way it kind of forms a, a sense of ignorance, just like I'm ignorant of the Greek language. You know, I don't know Greek, um, so yeah, it's the it's the same thing here. You you just don't get it until you're you're training it, and it's it's fantastic. And you're right. Many times people will play a game, um, and they'll win within the rules of whatever the event may be, and it doesn't even have to be fighting related. Um, and they'll use the rules to their advantage. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a gaming the system kind of thing. So, hey, if people don't want to learn it, that's their choice. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not on a crusade, you know, to make the whole world into a bunch of rippers here. You know, uh, those who choose know to come to me and they'll get it and they'll get, uh, they'll get all my knowledge and eventually they'll come to respect it and they'll respect it the same way that somebody should respect a loaded handgun. Okay, treat it with the ultimate respect because it can do a lot of damage. And, uh, you know, it's my thoughts on it. But as again, there's so much more to it. You know, it's not a standalone thing. Nothing is standalone. Everything is intrinsic. It's, it's, uh, 
you know, you build upon it, everything, you know, it's like an ingredient in, in the final recipe. Okay. And you have to know, is it a topping? Is it baked inside? Where, where does it fit in? And, you know, that, that's the, the beauty of it, that that's the depth of where, what, of what I teach, how it goes, you know, so many things are, you know, intertwined and, I, w- I just wish there were ways that I could just say, hey, this is how you should learn it. Just do it. And unfortunately, like I said, in today's day and age, you know, you kind of have to uh, curtail certain things, sugarcoat things as well, you know, and yeah, what are you going to do? On your uh, snap, no tap video, uh, I think there was one of the volumes was just conditioning and there was a I think it was Costa did a round of rip conditioning on Jeff, I think. I never met him. But is that is that what was demonstrated there? How regularly is that something you would want a student to do? Quite regularly. I mean, that was just a little demonstration of it. I mean, obviously, we didn't, you know, Costa didn't go hog wild. And you don't want to injure your opponent or your training partner. But once you get to that, you know, once, once it's introduced, that has to be routine. I mean, you may not have to do it every workout, but at least, I mean, how often are you working out for one, but let's just say you're working out three, four times a week. It's got to be in there once or twice a week. You know, you, you, your, your body, you can't, okay. It's like a guitarist. Now I'm not a guitarist, but my father wasn't, I obviously being a musician, I know guitarists. One of the things is they, they get their fingertips calloused. Okay you know, uh, when they're playing and, and that should, that'll go away, you know, and then you got to start all over again. Um, you don't want that. So once your body and your mind are on this ripping routine or regime, um, you want to keep it going. You know, you want your body to get used to that, like lifting weights. If you quit lifting for a while, I mean, an X amount of time, not like a week, you go back to the gym, man, you got to ease back into that, you know, otherwise you're going to get sore and everything. It's the same thing here. So, yes, you need to make this an integral part of your training. Now, you know, so many people want to talk in absolutes too, black and white. Well, how many hours, how many minutes, this or that? Well, again, everything is different toward, for every person, okay? And it's different for where you're at in your training right now. And this is why you need a world-class coach, a world-class coach coach a coach that isn't about him or herself so much as they understand how can I develop each let's say you have 20 students each of my 20 students is going to be at a different path in life I I got to know how to get the most out of each student and part of that you have to develop a relationship with your students your students have to tell you all about themselves from a physical standpoint injuries aches and pains goals uh what, what, what are they doing when they're outside of the gym as it relates to, you know, working out? And then, you have, again, getting – now that's on a student, but now getting back to the coach, he has to be able to um, assimilate all this information and come up with the program that's going to work for you, you know? Um, it, it's not a cookie-cutter thing. I, I mean, most schools probably are cookie-cutter. You know, everybody does the same thing you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you have a little bit of time on your own to work out. Well, you know, that's not really the, gen, generally speaking, that's not really the way to go unless everyone 
that's beginning is on the same level, you know, which is a zero level, let's say. Um, but then shortly thereafter, you're going to have some people who are going to develop quicker or slower or inside or outside of the box. You got to be flexible as a coach. You know, you, you have to be able to identify this and, and boom, go for it. And you're going to have students who are going to be motivated in one aspect of training more than they will be in another. And so you have to, number one, explain to them the importance of being well-rounded and doing as you say to do. And secondly, you have to find ways to motivate them and make them enjoy more than what they currently are doing this. So it'll, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It'll inspire them. It'll, it'll make them anxious to want to do the exercises or do the techniques so they, so they can get better. So it's, it's a mental physical thing. There's, you know, it's, 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 it's hard. And you do as a coach, you get burned out especially when you get certain people who just don't care, you know, they just want to be oohed and odd, show me the fancy stuff or whatever, you know, blow my mind with something or show me something new every week when you don't even know what you learned last week, you know, and where do you stop becoming an entertainer as a coach? And where do you start becoming an educator? And there's a huge difference between an entertainer and an educator. And sadly, many coaches, not just in fighting, but in general, get confused of the two, okay? And um, it all becomes, well, it's about me now. It's about the coach getting his, getting his ego stroked, as opposed to the biggest ego stroke is seeing a student progress and become world-class. That's the ego stroke coaches should be looking for, Um. But yeah, it's there's so much to this, Joe and Nico. There, it's so much more than than a technique. You know, there's it's like looking at a roof on a house. Well, how did that roof get up there? You know, the roof is not going to suspend itself. You know, so you, the roof doesn't exist without the rest of that house or building as a structure, and that's how training has to be. It's a full structure here, everything. Um. So, yeah, that's about it. That's about all I can say on that. I got to have a drink of water here. Well, Tony, I'm interested on, uh, you said Rod Von would bend coins. Did he actually take a coin and bend it with his fingers? Yes. With bare hands? I saw it more than once, and many people throughout Cleveland and probably wherever else did it. You know, boom. When I saw him, he would do it like that. One hand was the locking uh, was the gripping thing. I wish I had, see, we should prepare for some of these questions. I can't bend coins, but I could show you. Um, there's, I don't want to use the word tricks, but there, cause it's not a trick. You have to have strength, but there are techniques to bending things, bending bars, bending nails. Like when I used to do the strongman shows and I bend the bar and the nails, um, there's technique involved in it. Okay. And you could make things more difficult for yourself to the point where it's an impossibility or you could make things um, easier on yourself. So one of the things, if you're going to bend a coin is you've got to have that one hand, even if you're bending a nail or a, or a rod is the vice hand where it's not moving. Okay. Because a lot of times people will bend and they'll try to bend and you're creating two points now um, where there's going to be stress where you don't want that. You want one point. Okay. Um, I don't, ha I'm not prepared for this. I don't have any prop that I could use here to show you. Uh, 
Um, but uh, hmm. I don't think this is going to work. But okay, maybe this will. I don't know if the camera can pick this up or not. I I'm not seeing it too well. But if you if you try to bend something, let's say this is an exaggerated coin, or it could be a nail, it could be anything. And I try to bend it like this. See what happened there? See how this wire? There's now two points. I didn't bend the dance. Th- th- that wire is still straight. I'm bending on these points. That's not what you want. You want to lock this in, let's say, and you want to use this hand to bend this way. See what I'm saying? Or you can grip it. I used to, I used to grip like this and come up with it, okay? As opposed to going like this where I'm, you know, now I'm in essence trying to make two bends. You know, that's not what you want, okay? So you, you want to know... I don't want to use the word again. I don't want to use the word trick because then it sounds like it's false. It's not. It's just, that's the advantage, the technical advantage. It's physics. Okay. There's just simple physics to this. And, and that enters into everything. And, and, and it it relates even to when I fight, you know, when I put a lock on uh, a submission hold, Um, I'm trying to make your body so weak when I do it, that the submission is, is more effective and easier to do. So it's kind of like the same principle there. Um, there's, I think, um, there's been other guys who've legitimately bent coins pre-Stanley and post-Stanley. I, I believe they, Mike Dayton, the former, he was a strong man. He, he could bend quarters. I've never seen him do it. Because I've never, I've never met the guy, and he's probably seventy now. But there, there, there were a few. There, I, I, there's another guy. I can't remember what his name is, but uh, he had a weird name, uh, like a stage name. And um, you know, he did it. There was uh, others, um, but then there's also magic tricks. But um, but I know people who used to walk around. They used to carry the coins that he bent for them. Um, but that's just, you know, that's just one of the things that he, he did. Uh, and believe me, he had to use the power of the mind because that's painful. I trained to do, to bend coins. And so much I used to dream about bending coins. And, um, you know, it, it's, it is quite painful to do because you got to get your fingers calloused and stuff, you know, otherwise, and your fingers are flexible or not flexible, but they're, they're fleshy. And there's a lot of play in your fingers, you know, and you've got to stop that. You've got to get it where your fingers are rock hard. So the, the coin isn't like, you know, going into your finger fingers, you know, it's got to be solid and then boom. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, and it was, it was a daunting thing and it wasn't really something I wish I would have pursued more but I was young at the time and I was just more about learning to defend myself and, and being skinny kid and everything, not thinking I'm ever going to become strong, like that kind of strength. I focused on learning to fight because I was making a lot of progress there. Okay. I mean, it just was, it was just coming to me. Um, but that, you know, is, is, is great, but you know, you, you, there, it's just like be. You got to be well rounded too. And he was strong in a lot of ways. But I remember when all these grippers started becoming popular, and some guys were really strong, strong men. But there were a lot of folks who just focused on grip. 
grip strength that they could close the grippers, but everything else in their routine, they weren't benching much. They didn't have any arm strength. They just focused strictly on the grips, which is fine. It's if that's all they want, but that alone closing a gripper, let's say doesn't make you a overall strong man. Um, so my whole thing always was about being balanced, you know, being well-rounded. Um, and actually it may shock a lot of people to hear this, but strength was the least of my concerns because I never looked at my, I never, I was fast as a kid. I was thin, skinny, wiry, and fast. And I always kept that as my ultimate goal here, becoming fast, you know, or faster and faster. Uh, it, I guess I didn't, really give it much thought about, you know, becoming super strong, you know? Um, but again, I didn't have access to weights or anything like that until years, you know, so later, I mean, I came from, I mean, I don't want to sound like a wimp here, but you talk about extreme poverty. That's me. My, my grandparents, we, we had nothing. So for me to, you know, I mean, to think that I can get all these, this weight equipment and I can start lifting like a freak, Never happened. You know, I, I actually tried to make some homemade weights and everything. And uh, so, yeah, it just never, it never, I, I never saw myself becoming like, you know, a legendary strong man. <laughs> you know, um, I, I just felt, well, I got, I've been blessed with speed. Let, let me try to keep my, my speed going. Um, and that's, that's, that's where I was at. But even like when I wrestled, I mean, I would move around quickly and, you know, my hand speed was good for strikes and running. I was fast. And, you know, that was my best attribute, I guess, from a physical standpoint. I wasn't one of these kids that was strong. I knew a couple, I knew some kids, maybe a couple years, some was maybe my age, some were a little bit older. These guys were strong, not rebound strong, but, you know, just big, strong kids. And, uh, you know, I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's impressive. But that, that's what they had going in. I had the speed. Well, Tony, what, what kind of equipment did Rod Von train with? Did he have like, you know, big boulders and steel bars that he would bend in training? Or He didn't have any boulders or anything like that at that point. You got to remember when I knew the guy was in his 70s, okay? Oh. Late 60s and, you know, in 70s. So, you know, his best days were, you know, I mean, he was still doing feats of strength, pulling cars and, you know, you know, whatever bending things and you know scrolling um but yeah as far as i didn't know him when he was you know my 30s or 40s you know years old i i i don't i don't know uh, what he had then or what he even had access to um but yeah he was a traditional weightlifter like an olympic style weightlifter not a powerlifter or not a bodybuilder uh type <clears throat> But what I thought was interesting with him <clears throat> is he would do feats of strength that like, okay, so there, before him, there was like strong men that would do, they had, they would have their uh, signature move or whatever, their signature exercise that they would do or feat of strength, their signature feat of strength. And one thing about him is that he seemed to have been able to take what all these guys did and do all of it, you know, and put it in his show, like walk up, up uh, you know, ladders with, with, with a pony on his, across, you know, his shoulders. And of course, bending the coins and, you know, the uh, scrolling and uh, lifting up 
you know, pulling, having pickup trucks or trucks run over his body and pulling things with his teeth, you know, and, and, and what do you call it? Tug of wars with the horse. These are things that some of these strong men, they did one of those things or maybe something else. He would take what all these guys were doing it, and do them all. Um, you know, it, that's what was, I mean, I don't know if any other guys were, were doing that, but you know, that to me was, was, was fascinating. So what is scrolling? Okay. So like you'll take metal and you can actually bend it to make like designs, you know, literally with your hands, with your legs, and you could make it like in a shape of clovers or, you know, um, like try to make it look so like you're tying a knot, things like that. I mean, it was just, it's, it's fascinating um, to do. And, um, and it's more difficult than it appears. And I did some scrolling years later, you know, because I had the strength by then. Um, but I never wanted to embark on a strongman show career or something like that. So I, I, I didn't put in all the effort that I probably could have. And I was, you know, um, well, like I said, I had some debilitating illnesses or injuries and, you know, I didn't need any more. And some of this stuff, you know, can be dangerous. You could blow out, you know, um, uh, let's say your rotator cuff or your labrum and things like that. And to me, it's certainly not worth doing that and blowing something out for nothing for like, you know, just putting out a free show or, or whatever. I remember Bill Kazmaier, who was one of the strongest men who ever lived blowing out. Uh, I don't remember now if it was his labrum or his shoulder or rotator cuff, whatever, bending bars. And uh, it was a debilitating illness, uh, injury. You know, I, I don't know if he ever a hundred percent recovered as far as his bench pressing strength and stuff from that. Um, but yeah, you just have to, you know, you know, gotta, you have to watch all this stuff. You know, your body's not used to doing these things, right? And it, it, it can catch up with you years later. I know that from first hand. I'm, I'm a bundle of pain a lot, you know, but I still keep going, you know, as best I can. Some days it catches up to me and I just chill out. Um, but yeah, scrolling is something that a lot of the old time strong men did. Um, and uh, you can, I'm sure there's even probably videos. I've never looked it up, but I'm sure there's videos somewhere on YouTube of old timers scrolling. Um, and then rolling up, there's another thing, rolling like frying pans and things like that. Um, really, you're limited to your creativity in your mind as far as what you can do. You know, there's some staples, tearing a deck of cards, phone books, um, you know, things like that. Uh, doing things on a bed of nails, which that is more of a trick. Um, but, you know, the, oh, I used to blow up hot water bottles. You know, you could do all that. Um, uh, I think I have a photo on the website of me. With, I had it out to here. Somebody took it right before it blew up. Um, so those are standard in the repertoire, I guess. Um, just like a jazz musician knows a few, you know, knows standards that they got to play certain tunes. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a fascinating time, you know, but the thing that got me was just his seriousness about stuff. I mean, the guy was serious as a heart attack, you know, um, Those were the days, man, you know, and then years later, I meet Lou Thez, who was not 
into, I mean, I don't know what he did when he was young, but he wasn't a strong man. And Lou was built similar to me, you know, taller and thinner, I guess, you know, more, we were pretty much identical physically, our weight, our height. Um, you know, I'm saying when he was in his prime <clears throat> and, um, you know, Lou was, uh, I don't know, I guess Lou was, I don't know what it would have been like if I would have met him when I was a young boy or if I would have met him 30 years ago or when, you know, when he was 30 and, you know, if I could go on a time machine. Um, but uh, I saw, I saw similarities between myself and Lou. One of the things when we would share techniques and share thoughts, it was about entries and setups and things like that, you know, cause everybody has their own, it's like recipe. Like, like I told you, my friend's girlfriend's coming over here today for chili. She's bringing chili. Everybody makes chili a little different. Well, that's one of the great things with Lou. You know, he would do something and he would do it maybe slightly different. Okay. Um, and that was what was great. You know, here, this is how I do it, Lou. Oh, wow, I like that. Here's how I do it. Oh, wow, Lou, I like that, you know. And that was cool. Um, and I think that's the secret to life, not even just fighting or athletics, but just relationships, be it romantic or friendships between guys or girls between girls or whatever girl guy whatever is what do you bring to the table am i am i going to be better off knowing you and having you in my life and and that's what i try to seek out in people you know i don't need to be blown away i don't need to i don't need somebody to become an eraser and, and just like you know clear off my mental chalkboard and start anew I just need someone to add that little spice to bring things to me, little, little knowledge here and there, you know, whatever. And, you know, that's what I always seeked out in people, even just cohorts in life, nothing to do with working out or fighting or music or anything. Just what do you bring to the table? Maybe, maybe they can make me laugh. They, they always got a fresh joke. Or maybe we can talk about their travels in life, where they've been. And that's what you need in a coach, not you specifically, just you in general, is, in my opinion, a coach that can touch you, that can bring something to the table and maybe light that fire to get you to develop into the wrestler or fighter uh, that you want to be, or if if he's got a limited knowledge base, he can he can start you off, and then hand the baton to someone else, and that's a, an important thing too. And uh, I had that in my music. I had instructors that were there for that moment in time in my life until I was ready to go to someone else. Okay, I never did it like two teachers at the same time. No, but. I'd study with this one until it was time to go to someone else um, for whatever reason and nothing derogatory. It's just that, okay, I've gotten what I, this, I, I need to go in a different direction now kind of thing. So with me, the one thing that I always tried to do and the one thing that I pride myself on, and this is kind of getting back to Stanley is that I'm a coach that knows enough about striking, grappling and physical fitness I can cover it all, in my opinion. You know, I can take you to world-class levels in all of that. So 
that was that's where I'm at. That's what I take the most pride in because I've had guys that I've trained strictly grappling or one guy, Vince, just boxing or just strictly physical, you know, just exercises, um, you know, and, and, and get them, you know, I got many of them up to, you know, a very high level. Um, so that's, I take pride in that. I think that's the thing that I'm most, um, I think that's what I'm most proud of. So you, you know, you don't need four different instructors here, you know, each one competing for your time, each one competing for your attention. Um, I can cover all the bases. So I like, that's the thing that I, that's what I'm most proud of, I guess, you know, versatility, being versatile. And that's what I wanted to be. And I, I, I think I become, I became that thankfully. I don't know if this is an example of scrolling, but I got this from a buddy who claims, let me show this. Can you guys see this? Yeah, that's, that's, that could be it. But yeah, it's a guy who, he got it from, a, I guess, a strong man who bends steel and then makes like art out of it, basically. Scrolling right there. Yes. If it was done, I'm not doubting the strong man. Don't mention names. But I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Done legitimately. That is an example of scrolling. Yeah. But yeah, it's a cool, like a uh, piece of artwork that I've had for a long time. And the thing with Rodvon too, uh, I don't know if you've seen pictures, Nico, but he didn't just bend the coin. He folded it in half like a taco, which is like crazy. I've seen pictures, but I always thought it would be such an uh, awesome artifact to have. You know, I'm sure there's got to be some floating around in like somewhere in Cleveland, like in uh, antique shops or something. Although people probably don't even know what it is. But Right. And, then, you know, he used to break coins, too. You just bend them back and forth until, until it breaks. Um but yeah, that the that was always the one thing that eluded me. Okay, if, if I could have done one feat of strength, that would have been you know that I didn't do. That would have been it. Um, and I, I just couldn't do it, you know, or didn't do it. I I don't know. Uh, that was phenomenal to me. Uh, that grip, in general. But again, see, like when getting back to the grippers, there's different forms of grip strength. There's finger strength. There's grip strength. There's forearm strength, like wrist curl stuff. There, it's 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 an anatomical. There's more than just one way to be strong with your hands. Um, and you know, it's a dangerous. You know, I I. There was a point, like I told you, you guys know this that I got real serious into studying jazz accordion. It was after my, after my training with him and that I became cognizant of my hands, of my fingers. Okay. I was becoming very concerned here because I wanted to become, you know, the best player in the world jazz, you know, I wanted to play. So I had to watch what I did with my hands, you know, and yes, they, I've gotten broken fingers and things like that. Um, that's bad enough. But I risked tendon inj injuries. Did we lose Nico? Yeah, I think he had a drop early. So he, if he doesn't join back in, I thought he was going to say goodbye, but maybe that was just. But yeah, with me, I was always worried about, you know, injuring my hands. And even with the drums, because I played a lot of finger, finger stuff, a molar technique with the drums. And, you know, that is all finger work. So I, and that's another one of my problems. Uh, 
I wanted to become great at a lot of things. I didn't have that one like single focus. Um, I got one thing and one thing only. And that worked against me. Uh, in a way, it makes me avant-garde or makes me, you know, a man of all seasons, I guess. People have said, you know, you, you're, you're, you're pretty good at these things and it's pretty interesting. You know a lot about these subjects. But, you know, I, and I have my specialties, you know, what I do as far as fighting is probably that. That's the highest thing. That, that's the thing I'm the best at. And then probably there was a point in time when, you know, um, it was close between the drums and, and, and pool, you know, but uh, every, you know, yeah, I wish I could have, you know, in hindsight, if, if I was able to focus just on one thing, but the thing with the fighting, there was no outlet for that. There was no UFC, MMA, whatever, none of that, you know? So it was pointless to, there was no competition. Okay. I did it to save my life and I've used it so many times to save my life. So I'm victorious there. It, it paid off. Okay. Um, but I, I, but I do, I was very passionate about music. I, it's sad that I don't play. It's lost the ability really, but I still have that love and appreciation for music. Uh, and I love pool, you know, but not, I mean, I don't know. It's not, it's, there's no reason for me to focus on pool. There's no money in it, even at the high, not that I would ever be the best player in the world, but there's not a lot of money. This isn't snooker. Okay. Where these guys are making six figures um, or seven figures. Uh, There's no, there's, you know, pool is, it's a funny thing. And, um, but the music, you know, I, I think now in my life, music doesn't mean the same to me like it used to. And that's sad. I start to get down sometimes because I don't, I don't get that goose pimple thing anymore when I listen to it. And I don't sense the need to turn to music like I used to. And it's extraordinarily rare that I'll have the radio on in my car. I normally don't have the radio on. I just have the quiet so I can get, gather my thoughts and whatever. Yeah. Similarly, I noticed for me with music that, so I used to work, you know, I work in computers. One of the gigs I had was like, you know, you, they used to call it a computer operator where you were sitting there and this was back in the day when you were mounting tapes and stuff, but you were, you had like eight hours or whatever in this computer room. And so I had, the radio on eight plus hours a day, not to mention when it was in the car or whatever. And literally all the music I liked, I listened to it so many times. I had internalized it so much that it became dull to me. You know, I lost that, like if a great a favorite song of mine came on, it didn't necessarily matter. And I noticed that and it kind of scared me. And I actually, I'd say for the last couple of decades now have, I avoid just listening to music as as kind of like in the background like i just listen to like news or information um and you know it's nice if i haven't heard you know like i'm a rock fan so you know i think like a lot of them i'm I'm a beatles fan but that music is almost hard to escape you know it's in the background everywhere and and it unfortunately can wear it out for you um you know there's certain bands that i never need to hear again even though i love them you know they've just been played to death 
and that's unfortunate. So I, I actually have to take a a break sometimes from a, a musician or a band, or if I hear it on the radio, I'll turn it off just because I don't want to spoil it. Um, but I think, yeah, just even some amazing piece of art or, you know, uh, it can, you can, you can hear too much of it, I think, which is a, which is a bummer. Yeah. And the music industry has changed. Obviously everybody knows this. So I'm not, uh, you know, I was, I was never a fan, really a big fan of, country i i like some of the i was raised around some of the old country that current country fans don't like that um but yeah my kind of music well of course forget about just okay we, we everybody knows i'm a jazz guy but just even the rock that i was raised on um uh you know it doesn't exist anymore in any kind of you know you're not they're not pumping out the songs and, you know, being raised in, in, in the urban area, you know, I, growing up, I, I heard a lot of Luther Vandross, you know, uh, Cool and the Gang, um, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire and all of those, you know, a lot of R&B. And again, that's, it's, you know, they're most, a lot of those guys are there. I don't want to say they're gone, like some of them have passed away, but yeah, there's nothing new coming out. Uh, so yeah, I'm not, you know, when I listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, it's always um, not romantic. What's the word? Um, nostalgia. Or? Nostalgia. Yeah, it's nostalgic, right? So I listen to X amount of songs from them that I love, and like you, uh, I I kind of tune it off, you know. So it seems when I'm out and about in public, and every so often I'll play something on the jukebox because you know most places have the internet jukebox. You can almost get everything. I either play a song as a ball bust or if we're in the middle of a conversation and somebody is like, Oh, I don't remember that song. Or I, I haven't heard that in 20 years. Well, I'll go try to find it and I'll play it. Okay. So it's more or less as a, an event as opposed to, you know, something that I'll sit there and listen to and enjoy, you know? Um, but two, I, I have so much stress, so many things going on. And I do tend to seem to be, you know, I do tend to be isolated. Um, uh, yeah, it, I'm not really, you know, I'm just that my, my frame of mind isn't on that. Um, but also when, you know, with Chicago, I would, I would go to a lot of Polish places, you know, that are Irish and, you know, and I would listen to their music because somebody would play the Irish uh, stuff or the Polish rock and everything. And, you know, so I would, I would hear that. You know, and, uh, you know, if there's a bunch of, let's say, Polish people, you know, I'm not going to start playing my, you know, jazz or they don't, most of, many of the jukeboxes just didn't have the kind of music I liked. Then when I would go to my Italian place in the city, yeah, they have all the Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett stuff, you know, but again, Frank's been dead since 98, I believe, 97. Tony Bennett's not coming out with anything new. He did those duets and stuff, but same old song, different, maybe slight arrangement differences. But yeah, I mean, you know, how many times can you hear it? You know, uh, so yeah, I'm like you though, man. You know, I, um, you know, the music itself playing, and you know, you've been trying to get me to play practice again. And I did try to pick up, I don't have my drums anymore. I lost them when, when I lost my gym, but do have a practice pad and the sticks and man, I, I, I just lost the, the feeling, you know, and I remember hearing Buddy Rich talk about that when he had one of his heart attacks, he, he lost the feeling in his hands, you know, whatever. I mean, 
he got it back. Well, I'm not Buddy Rich. <laughs> so, you know, I just don't feel like, well, what's the point in putting, you know, I mean, believe me, I, I've lost a lot. I lost a lot more than I thought I lost, you know, as far as coordination and everything. So, um, yeah, I don't need the negativity right now, the frustration of it, you know, of, of starting from square one with the rudiments and everything. Um, I just, I just, I'm not there, you know, mentally, I just don't want to do it. So part of getting good at anything, as I mentioned a million times before is burning desire. You have to desire it. I don't. That's not to say that I won't in, you know, in the coming years, but uh, it's, I don't right now. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to push it. You know, she's not going to do it. You know, a couple thoughts, and I don't know if this would be better for another episode, but we should talk maybe about the crossover between music and fight training and or just the arts and, and fight training. Because obviously, like, I'd be curious to see, like, you know, kind of the crossover from the idea of specifically the drums to me seem to have like, you know, the rhythm and the coordination seems to have, this seems to be, it would be a good supplement, even though, I mean, they seem kind of completely different disciplines. Uh, but it seems like, you know, feeling the rhythm of a fight or getting, a, you know, just knowing how to, uh, I don't know, hit someone on the offbeat, so to speak, or on the half beat, you know, does that stuff, when you get to a higher level, does that, you know, kind of help, you know, is it, is it a good training mechanism? Well, we should save that for another show, but I will do, I'll, I will address specifically what you've said there. Yes, uh, it, 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 it helps tremendously because there is two things in a fight, rhythm and timing. And, you know, the, the key is to offset your opponent so his rhythm and timing is not accurate. And that, so that, and you don't even have to be a drummer for that because any good musician, um, understands the concepts of tempo, rhythm, syncopation, accents. Um, it's learning to get that transmitted into the fight world. And with me, the, the, the learning how to improvise, okay, which, which is jazz, which, which, which jazz brought to me, was the single biggest light bulb as far as my fighting went. Um, I had been playing the drum since I was a little boy. Uh, so I had that rhythm thing and the timing thing and all of that. Um, and I would do drum solos, you know, all that. But when I started studying jazz theory and learning how to just improvise, that that was the biggest thing. And that's something that we'll save for a... <clears throat> another show because uh, that deserves its own topic and it deserves to be delved into because that's something that I, again, it's one of the things I feel separates me from others is getting you to learn to improvise because that's what fighting's all about. Okay. You know, you, you watch any boxing, kickboxing, MMA match. Generally you have seconds, you know, corner men <clears throat> telling you what to do or shouting out advice. <clears throat> And you normally have time to prep for your opponent, so on. So you're, you know what's going on. You don't have any of that in a street fight, okay? You don't have any, any sort of thing. And even in a fight where you do have a professional fight, where you do have corner men, you, you, it's still about learning how to, what can I do now to break this guy's rhythm or tempo and timing? 
So that's the thing where the improvisation helped me in learning how to improvise. Okay. And, um, you know, that to me was one, once, once it all clicked, um, it, it was a mutual beneficial situation because of my fight training, I had the discipline to go through practicing on the, the accordion, for example, hour after hour after hour, day after day after day, that regimen, you know, that Ronnie Moon had me on, uh, you got to do your inversions, you got to do this and that. That was no problem, you know, because it, it, it wasn't painful, <laughs> like wrestling, fighting. So, but I already had the discipline to do that. And then learning to jazz, improvise, uh, how to improvise, developing my brain to improvise, fed into my fighting. Okay, so I had, the, I mean, it was a blend for me. Now, I'm not going to say that it's going to be like this universal, but for me, it was the perfect marriage. It was a meld between the two. And I don't know, I guess in that regard, I was blessed. I was very lucky, you know, and I, but I also had obsession with this stuff, all of it. You know, I became obsessed hours after hours after hours of training, no matter what it was that I would get myself into. Okay. I delved in hours a day, never hour a day, never minutes a day, hours at everything. And, you know, sometimes you burn out, sometimes you don't. But, but I mean, same with Pac-Man, hours a day playing Pac-Man, you know, when I was in, into that. Uh, everything I did, I did a full, you know, all the way, okay? Um, so I can say, you know, I gave it all a good shot, you know, but the, there were certain things in my life that I kind of dabbled in, never really got serious about it. And that tends to, you know, it works itself out. It's like a diversion. But yeah, we can talk about this another day, which would be kind of nice. And I used to talk about training with metronomes and things like that. And now all these metronomes are, you, you can you can download them on your phone. Um, but yeah, I don't want to get into it now. Let's save this as a surprise for other people because it's a deep subject. Um, and, you know, music itself has so many different genres and methods and, you know, time-tested methods. You know, this is not something that's just been developed recently. You know, music goes back, way back. So that that's a good good place. It's like science. It's a good place to draw from. It won't it won't steer you wrong. Um, but yeah, uh, today you know I'm just you know looking getting you know I know the weather's going to be changing, getting crappier outside. That's that's fine. Um, you know I don't I don't care anymore. You know, I'm not one of these guys that I don't like it. Hundred degrees. Yeah, I don't mind a little bit of change of seasons, just as long as you're prepared. I think uh, the biggest problem, like it for up for me, like in the winter, is when you have plans and they be get they get destroyed because of the weather. But that happens even in summer. You know, you may want to do something outdoors and it's raining. You know, so you you can't do it. But um, you know. My whole life, I've been around tremendous snow in Cleveland, which was where I live, was actually worse than Chicago. And, um, you know, the uh, generally the last few winters have been relatively mild. I mean, you'll, we'll get a snowstorm or two, but, you know, it hasn't been that bad. So, um, 
And I still think the spring, summer, and fall in the Midwest is great. I don't know what you think about it, but I, I don't have a problem with it. I just wish uh, winter was a little bit shorter. I actually like it. Like I like Christmas and New Year's and it, you know, it kind of, you know, when it's darker out, everybody puts the lights out, but it's those last couple months of like February and March that just, it's like, oh man, let's get this over with. I can't wait for it to be, you know, where I can be outside in my, uh, you know, shorts and a t-shirt and not be in pain. Um, but so I, yeah, I like the change a little bit. I think it mixes things up. Um, you know, when I lived in California, just it was only nine months, but it was like, because the weather was very, very little bit, uh, you honestly did not notice when it was a good day. It was like, you took it for granted, you know, um, for what it's worth. So like, you know, when it first, when it finally becomes spring, it's almost kind of euphoric here because you've been, you know, it's been so either gray and overcast or cold for so long that when the weather finally turns nice and I always, always liked that era. Um, you know, kind of tying the weather and crappy weather back to what we were talking about with conditioning. What about like, do you advocate conditioning for other things like, um, like the cold? So, you know, like exposing yourself to like cold showers or, you know, cold water, like, you know, things like that to kind of build that mental fortitude. Is that something that you've done or would see that there's a value to? Well, I mean, I've tried everything through the years, but the best thing to do is just to be outside. If you're in a cold weather climate, that's where you need to be working out, not every day, but you need to get out there in the snow. You need to get out there in the, on the ice. You need to get out there in a rainstorm. Um, I've said this before. If you like to drink, if you know, if you're a, let's, if you're a drunk you know, or you, Friday night, you like to go out to the bars, you need to train tanked up. You know, you need to know how you're going to react when you're drunk. Okay. Um, so you, you, get, you have to put yourself in as, as many reality situations as you possibly can. It's not that difficult to do, you know? Um, yeah, I've heard this cold showers, this and that. And I've taken cold showers for other reasons, but, uh, huh. you know, um, yeah, if it works for you, who, who am I to say don't do it? But to me, get outside. If you're in a cold weather climate, which we're going to be again shortly here, nothing stopping you from going outside and doing your thing. Um, you'll, you know, you know what it's like, man, how your hands hurt. You don't, you think, man, I don't want to hit anybody, man. I'll break my hands, my fingers or something, you know, cause you're, you're like frozen or you know that you can't get your grip, your footing, you know, or if you think you're going to flop to your back, you're going to get smothered because the guy's going to probably drag you into a snowbank, you know? And, and what about that? What about somebody smear, you know, smearing your face, you know, with, with snow or something, shoving it down your mouth. I mean, these are things that can happen. Okay. Or if you try to turn and go face down, well, now what? Okay. Um, and on and on. We've dis- I've discussed this before. I've, I have what? Three, four years of videos on Facebook that you know, every day of stuff. I'm sure I've, I know I've discussed all this stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, the more you expose yourself, the better. And you don't need to do it every day. You know, you, you can't burn yourself out. Take, say, take some time off, but you know, you don't mean basically what I'm saying is you don't have to go out in a snowstorm every day, but you do need to expose yourself to it and see what works, what doesn't work and work out in the clothing that you would wear as well. In, in, even if you're indoors, you know, um, and especially women, you know, who may wear dresses to work or something like that or high heels or whatever. Uh, have you worked out in that stuff? Do you know how you're going to react with, you know, I mean, come on, you know, uh, this is not, I mean, 
there's a chasm still, you know, even many reality based people, you know, they don't get, they don't truly train reality. They train foe, you know, and um, there's, you know, just go outside if you have to, especially now with the COVID thing. But that's another thing that that's affecting a lot of people in their training. I, I heard that DeKalb and Rockford have or are going to start closing down again. They're, they're taking steps back. At least this is what I heard yesterday. I didn't look it up or anything, but a couple people told me. Um, so who knows what, what we're going to be facing coming up. Um, and that's, again, you know, why I keep saying to join my distance learning program, because that, that's, you can train in that no matter what. You know, no matter what the conditions are, because it's, it's you or it's you and your training partner that you trust, you know. But, um, yeah, I've sometimes thought about, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s growing up watching all the television shows, the majority of them, maybe nearly, maybe all of them were either California or New York, or it was ambiguous, but you knew that it was California or you knew that it was supposed to be New York. New York, of course, I could gravitate towards because Cleveland is that's that's the same thing pretty much so same urban thing but the california stuff i could never you know really get you know the sunny the palm trees whatever this and that you know the, it was kind of hard to relate as a as a city boy you know with bad weather it's it, kind of hard to relate to that you know and uh it just seemed like the new york based stuff had that grit that crime that hardness that I was used to in my life. I did not have the Brady Bunch. Okay. Um, I, I actually um, never said this before, but I, somebody asked me once or more than once, um, did I have a father figure on TV? You know, like Mike Brady to some, Mm-hmm. And I did. And it will blow you, probably surprise you, but my father figure was uh, James Evans from Good Times. I'm like, I wish I had him as a father because that was they were in the projects in Chicago while I lived in the ghetto in Cleveland. I didn't have, you know, all the, you know, the family, uh, you know, the, the sister and the other brother and, then, of course, JJ. But here's a father who who had it rough. And who still provided and, you know, they were a family unit under bad circumstances. And that was a show that I could totally relate to, utterly, okay? I, I could relate to that. And um, I, I never related to the Jeffersons because, you know, they, they lived, look where they lived. You know, a deluxe apartment in the sky. You know, um, I couldn't relate to that. You know, um, when All in the Family first came out, I was kind of young for that. I mean, you know, and but again, I never, I mean, that, I loved the show. That was funny, but I didn't relate to it um, in that regard. But yeah, I related to Good Times, believe it or not. And uh, then, of course, my little escape from reality was uh, Charlie's Angels. You know, we go, wow, okay, I'm in love here. You know, um so yeah, coming from a urban and coming from the crime, the 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 the, the hopelessness, 
um, of, of where I lived, you know, you, you just, all I ever thought about was surviving and, you know, getting out and, you know, what, what, what's my future going to be. And I don't, I never had, and it's not just me. None of us had any agencies or groups or organizations that were really there to help us. If they existed, we didn't know about it. Okay. Um, and that, that was very hard because the biggest thing to, to take away is hope or shatter someone's dreams. And that's, that happened to me. You know, I, I just, I don't, I mean, you know, there's just, there wasn't there, you know, there was no, nobody that could say, Hey, if you did this, you know, this is where the outcome could be. This could be a positive. You could get a good career here or you can get a good education here or something. I never had that. Okay. I, I just always had the hardcore blue collar old timers that, you know, weren't, you know, their thoughts weren't on get a college education or get a trade or even, even they were like, man, you got to, you know, you got to survive this neighborhood's bad boy, you know, that kind of shit. So um, that, that's a big regret because I, and it, and it affected me and it affected me even in my personal life outside of my neighborhood. Like when I got old enough to drive and, you know, I graduated school, uh, many girls refused to date me from different, you know, because I would meet them in area, they're totally different areas. They'd go out or, or they, they talk to me and then, or their parents would say no dice, you know, where he lives, you're not going, no, this is it. Forget it. Wrong side of the tracks kind of guy. So that you get, you get a lot of resentment to just, I don't know. Yeah. Resentment for sure. But you just get frustrated. You know, it's like, man, Jesus, can I get a break here? You know? So uh, I don't know how we got on that subject, but okay. Thank you. You know, Dr. Cardinal for, for listening. <laughs> Our father, should I call you father Cardinal? No, I didn't confess any sins. Um, you would have been a good priest. I think though. I, I really do. You have that kind of calming especially the way your hair looks today, you know, it's almost kind of like, you know, you saw God or something, you got frightened because your hair is all over the place. But you told me the other day, you're trying to do the Einstein thing. So. Well, I feel I've got kind of a cross between, um, you know, Senator uh, Rand Paul and uh, Shemp Howard, kind of between the two of them. That's where I'm at right now. Um, So. Shemp, especially. (laughs) The underappreciated stooge. It's hard to live under Curly's shadow, you know, but what are you going to do? Shepard, uh, fight fan. I think he died either at the fights or on the way to or from the fights. Boxing. You know, he was a big fight fan. How many sports did you have back then? You know, it's not like today. I mean, you know, we're, you know, football's only a hundred years old. Organized football when started in 1920 and you didn't have a lot of teams. And you, of course, you know, think you didn't have television and this and that and, you know, boxing was like the big thing. And, a, you know, what maybe with the exception of Babe Ruth, or maybe not, the most famous athlete was, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world. And, um, you know, that, well, who would ever have thought that would have changed? But it has. Boxing has dwindled over the last few decades couple decades at least i think to a degree what's the first fight you ever saw 
Do you remember? Professional fight? Mm-hmm. Boxing, yeah, I'm talking, yeah. Yeah, not my sister beating on me. I want to think. Uh, I don't remember. I remember Ali being on TV a lot. So he was, you know, in the 70s, in Wild World of Sports or something. It seemed like he would be on, you know, maybe a couple times a year. So he was always just kind of a fixture in the background. And I remember him losing and it being a big thing. I can't remember. Now, this is not like one of his early losses, like to um, uh, Frazier. Frazier, yeah, this was after that. I think this was towards the twilight of his career. Leon, Leon Spinks. Probably was Leon Spinks. And I remember that being a big thing because it was kind of like, oh, there's going to be an Ali fight and Ali's going to win. It was just kind of the assumption uh, for a long time growing up. And, and so it was kind of, I don't want to say pleasant surprise, but kind of refreshing to say, oh, wow, actually, you know, something, an unexpected outcome from that. Um, but then I think for sure, I remember really being into watching Hagler in the 80s. And Great. for sure, um, for sure, the Leonard fight. And I don't remember if I actually was able to watch it, but I remember waiting for the outcome, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, and they, like I said, it was a lot more accessible because it was on TV back then. It wasn't, there wasn't pay-per-view, you know, at least prior probably to the Hagler-Leonard fight. Uh, you know, it just seems like every Saturday you could f- flip on the TV and they'd either be rebroadcasting something. Um, but uh, Well, they did post-circuit. They did have pay-per-view. or uh, I saw the Le- Leonard her, uh, Duran, the first one, Leonard Duran, at a movie theater live. It was closed-circuit. Um, and I remember that. Um, so, um, and I do remember not all the fights were televised because I remember scanning the AM dial, believe it or not, to try to find radio, live radio broadcasts of the fight, you know, round by round, blow by blow description, um, which there's now you look back, there's something romantic about that. You know, it's nostalgic, you know, to listen to the announcers were so much, they were just so they were actors in a way, you know, they, they, they made you feel like you're there. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, of course being raised with a fighter and, you know, meeting a lot of fighters as a kid, you know, I had a little more in involved in it. You know, I was a little more, you know, this was my thing <clears throat> more than most. And I don't really want to get into that because everybody then World War II guys had their opinions, you know, on, you know, who was the best, you know, and it was not Muhammad Ali. I mean, almost to a man that everyone was Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis. And in hindsight, when you look at Joe, he looked like one of the first modern boxers. He moved, he had kept his arms right and everything. He moved in a certain way. Of course, he's smaller now. I mean, what did he fight at? 190 or something? Like Mar- Marciano, I mean, look how small, you know, he wouldn't even be considered a heavyweight at this stage. But yeah, I, you know, I, I never got to see any of the <clears throat> old, old timers. I was not, I'm not that old, you know, but uh, I wish I could have, you know, but uh, yeah. And then baseball, football, you know, when I was raised in the era as a young man where the Cleveland Browns were not a good team, very bad. Then, um, you know, 1980, they they didn't have such a bad season there, but um, then we had the cardiac kids, you know, and you know Ernest Biner. I don't even want to go there, you know. 
we were we should have been in the Super Bowl. Um, and I think the biggest heartbreak is that we actually won the Super Bowl. When you think about it, the Browns leave Cleveland, they go to Baltimore. Well, a couple of years later, they're the Super Bowl champs. That was our team. That was the Cleveland Browns team. You know, and Baltimore, of all places to move to, after the way they cried, their fans cried when they, their team moved out in the middle of the night. Well, then they do it to us. They do it to Cleveland. You know, so uh, I will never pull for the Ravens. Uh, that'll never happen in my lifetime. Um, but, yeah, I, the, you know, I never got into hockey. And for a while, Cleveland didn't even have a hockey team. But they also at the time had two teams, the Barons, which I believe were WHA, and the Crusaders, which were NHL, or vice versa. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not into hockey. Um, but I certainly was into hockey in 1980 when it was, you know, the Olympics, um, which is still one of the greatest sport moments of my life, you know, uh, and maybe of this country where we were united. And let's see what else. Uh, yeah. And baseball, you know, the Indians, again, growing up, I got to go to some games, but they were not, um, you were never a contender, you know, until when I was living out here in Chicago, you know, then, you know, in the nineties, I was already here, you know, and, uh, you know, with their world series appearances and so on. But, um, yeah, sports have always been somewhat of an outlet. Well, not somewhat quite an outlet for me as, as a competitor or as a, as a participant and as a, um, as a spectator. You, same thing. You know, you had the 85 Bears, but outside of that, you know, you didn't have anything, you know. Cubs. Yeah, the, for growing up in the 70s, we didn't win anything. I mean, I was so desperate for a win. I remember the first Chicago championship in my lifetime was the Chicago Sting, their soccer team won. I mean, no one cared about soccer, soccer but I mean, now a lot of people, it's, it's kind of become much more popular, you know, over the decades, but um I remember just, I was going to be a Sting fan because they actually were winning. You know, no one was winning back in the day. So when the, until the Bears won, I had not seen a championship in Chicago my entire life. Uh, and that was, in, that was just completely unexpected, kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, now it's funny looking back. I mean, with, you know, the Sox have won a couple of times, the Cubs even won. And of course, like, you know, the, the Jordan era with basketball, Chicago is definitely people don't tend to think of this town as being deprived of championships, but during the seventies and probably well before I was, you know, well, I was on the, the map. Um, we were just on a drought for years and years and years for any kind of a championship. Same here, but the, there was a time where Cleveland was called the city of champions because they had a baseball champion and an NFL champion. This was before the Super Bowl. And the last championship for the Browns was uh, the world championship was 1964, the year of my birth, you know, and I didn't see a championship until I was living out here with the, with the Cavaliers, you know? So I went back for that. You know that I went back for the parade, you know, you couldn't get a ticket, you know, but I went back for the parade and all that, which was great, you know, to be a part of that. I even, even did a podcast, a Facebook thing from there, a video or vlog or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And, uh, I was very happy, but I would have loved it to be the Browns. I would have loved it to be the Indians. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to see that in my lifetime. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, at, at this stage of the game, I, I'm not so much, I don't, you know, I don't live vicariously through that. I never have really. I mean, I, you know, I, I have my own feelings on it, but, um, 
Yeah, I wonder, you know, as a kid, if I was, you know, raised in New York with the Yankees, you know, or, you know, whatever, some other team, St. Louis even had a lot of championships, or Cincinnati or Oakland when I was a kid. Um, you know, when you become accustomed to it, when you, when you almost expect it, you know, I expect my team to win. I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that. I don't, I'll never live to feel that because, you know, I never expect my teams to win. But um, man, I kind of would put, put a, probably put a different verve on it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, you, you, you tend to, I think that's another way, another reason too, why I became more of an individualist. You know, I wanted to get personal accomplishments. You know, I wanted to be a good card player. I wanted to be a good pool player. Uh, you know, um, I, you know, I wanted to, cause I could control that, you know, I'm not going to get my adult, my uh, enjoyment from the Browns cause they're going to lose. So I'll find it in myself, you know? So in that regard, I think that personally driven, made me more driven, you know, to, to excel at the things that I did, you know, but um, yeah, that's about it, man. I really don't know what else to say. We're kind of talking a lot of personal stuff here, like, you know, walking through nostalgia lane, but uh, I do hope that I was able to reach some of the people today regarding, you know, pain tolerance and just training and the importance of, uh, being realistic and pushing yourself to limits that, you know, don't make everything become routine. Uh, don't take things for granted, you know, challenge yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, get back to, to ground zero. You know, maybe if you drive to, to the gym, maybe take public transportation a little bit now and then work a little harder at it. Don't make everything so convenient. Get out there and see what's around the world here. You know, where you're at, you know, um, get in touch with things, um, change your routine around. You know, if, if you work out, let's say you lift weights at six o'clock at night after work, you know what, why don't you try for a couple of months, getting up much earlier than you normally do when you go to work and go to the gym at three or four in the morning or whatever. Change it around. Get to know yourself in different scenarios and different situations. Because complacency, man, that's not a good thing. You know, um, you start to lull yourself and you don't want that. So sometimes you got to stir the pot, you know. So make changes. Um, these are all within your control normally, right? They should be. Uh, and I, I'm a big, big believer in that. And you never know what you can find, you know, um, within yourself, you know, and I don't know, that's just certain things that I think that you can do, you know, little tips and tricks that you can do that, you know, don't really cost any money or maybe public transportation does, but you're saving on gas. Um, just try to do things differently. You know, expand your routines, expand your horizons. And, um, you know, I wish everyone out there the best of luck and keep in touch. And then, you know, next week we'll plan for next week's show. I don't know what, we don't really plan anything. We just normally don't say anything. But this last time we were, I don't know, I think I brought up pain management. And all of a sudden, Joe and Nico's like, yeah, I want to talk about that. And then uh, we were going to do it last week, but the show got, you know, Nico couldn't make it and things just fell apart. So, um, 
But yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Do you have anything to add, Joe, or any closing thoughts? No, I think that was actually a good way of summarizing and closing things together. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that's just an aspect of training that I think gets neglected a lot. Um, there's a lot to it, and I think we should come back to it. I think it's uh, there's more to, to deal with there. Uh, but absolutely, definitely, in, in, yeah, it's a good thing to incorporate for sure. All righty then. I will, uh, you know, email you, chat with you, whatever, during the week. Thanks, everybody, for watching. All right. Goodbye, guys. Bye.